Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Hey, welcome to you on this Father's Day. Here's what I want you to do. If you are a father in the room, I want you to stand up. If you're a father in the room, would you stand up? Hey, why don't we do this? Let's give all of our dads in the room a hand. Happy Father's Day to you. If you're a father that's watching online today, we say happy Father's Day to you as well. The difference is, if you're watching online, you're not going to get the free gift that we have for you on the way out. So if you're in the room, it's not a huge deal, but on the way out, we've got a free gift for you. So make sure at the door that you tell one of our guest services team members that you're a dad and they're going to put something in your hand today. But welcome to you. I'm so thankful that you're here. And if you got your family with you, that's like an added bonus. Uh, you know, what they tell us as, as pastors... If you look at the historical trends across the United States back several years, I mean 20, 30 years, Mother's Day is one of the most highly attended Sundays of the year in churches. Father's Day is one of the most lowly attended Sundays of the year. I'm not really sure why that is. I guess moms are like, hey, you got to come to church with me. And dads are like, hey, you got to go somewhere else with me. I'm not really sure how that works. But uh, I am thankful for my dad, and I'm also grateful to be a father of four awesome kids. And so I'm thankful for you on this Father's Day that you're here. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a really cool thing to see uh, families worshiping together. As Generations Church, I was telling someone this week, they were asking a little bit about our church, and I was describing for them, you know, the things about our church that I was most proud of. And one of those things is generations of families that exist within our church. And that some, some families, there's two, three, four generations a part of this church. And I know others of you, you're the first generation. You st- you know, put a stake in the ground and said, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And others of you, you got generations in other churches, and they just may not live local or may not be here where they can do that with you. But man, I'm so thankful for you today. And we've had a lot of great things happening. And I feel like over the last few weeks, I've said things like this, but I want to show you a little bit of what's happened this past week. We had our middle school summer camp. Last week was high school summer camp. This week was middle school camp. And man, it was a blast. Corey and I were able to go this week and be a part of that camp and work the camp. And they had so much fun this past week. And so middle school camp is always a blast. Um, And if you're not really sure who the middle schoolers or the leaders that went were, they're the kids that look really tired or the leaders that have no voice. Uh, I said that last week. Man, they had so much fun, just a lot of fun together. Also some great worship services. Uh, A part of our worship team went this past week to lead worship. And so that was really awesome to see them use their gifts and talents to serve the camp. We had a couple hundred students, uh, about 350 total on the camp this past week with our group and with the other churches that we partnered with. Uh, We took a group of about 27 or 28, I think was our total number. And so again, just a great week. Tomorrow is our last week of summer camp. It's our grade school camp. And so we have some leaders and some students that are going uh, as a part of this week. I think we've got about 12 or 13 going this week. And so across these three weeks, we've sent about 50 or 60 of, of our generation's church family, family ministries to be a part of the youth camp experience. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for those of you who have given to Legacy Makers over this last year to really help to create some scholarship opportunities for students that wanted to go, but maybe their parents couldn't allow them to go financially or just couldn't work that out. And you're a part of that story. You're a part of them being able to go, being able to get some of our leaders who took some vacation time to to be able to get there. And and so I'm just really thankful for you. If you're a Generations uh, Legacy Maker giver, you are making a difference. And so thanks to you. One other quick note, just from our family ministries, we've been announcing 
announcing it. Our vacation Bible school, we call Sports Camp, and that's coming up July 19th through the 21st. We keep talking about it because we want you to get your kids there. We also want you to get your neighbors there, you know, their, their kids. And so we'd love for them to sign up through our website, g.church. They can go to the events tab. There's a registration opportunity there, July 19th through the 21st. And maybe you're like, wow, we got plenty of time. Go ahead and register. That helps us to plan. Uh, there's going to be some sports and things that they get to do, but it's really the spiritual training as a part of those three days that's most important. And so we want your kids and the kids that you know in our community to be a part of these three days in July. It's going to be going to be awesome. Today we are continuing in our Summer in the Psalms series. And we started three weeks ago, and, and I, it's amazing when we have these longer sermon series that go six or seven or eight weeks that it feels like after we've kind of started them, it starts to fly through. Like it, I feel like we just started it, and man, it's already been three weeks. And so what I said to you the first week is uh, the book of Psalms is this collection of 150 poems, really, uh, these, these songs that the Hebrews collected from David and Moses and some of the temple workers, and it was, it was songs of worship. It was some of the things that we've just experienced, and they, they had these lyrics, and they put them together with melodies, and they sung them in the temple, and they were collected over about a thousand years, and of the 150, what we said is this series of, of sermons is about 49 days when you think about the time period we're doing it. So if you read about three psalms a day, then you could be able to read the entire book of psalms during our series in June and July. I had someone text me yesterday and they said that they were starting Psalm 45. So they're kind of on track as we start uh, here. And, and we've got three weeks. They're, they're into the, the, the rhythm of what we were talking about doing. So I encourage you, if you haven't done that, go ahead and jump in with us. A lot of these are very, very short. You can read a Psalm, some of these in a minute or two. So it'd be a great way for you to begin your day and just open God's word and to begin to read the, read the Psalms because it connects us to the emotional experience of how people interacted with God. And so today we're going to continue in that. We started in Psalm 1 the first week, and last week as we kind of continued in that with Psalm 34, we talked about taste and see that the Lord is good, what we were just singing about a few minutes ago. Today on this Father's Day Sunday, I really wanted us to to dig into probably the most famous psalm. If not the most famous, it's definitely a top five. And so this is Psalm 23. If you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Psalm 23. If you don't have a a printed Bible, you can open up an app on your phone and follow along there. The scriptures today, most of them will be up on the screen. And we're going to do something a little different. Sometimes we we read it and then we kind of take three or four points. Today, I just want to read the entire psalm. It's not very long. And then we're going to just walk pretty much phrase by phrase through this because I believe, especially for dads in the room, you're going to see some things that are personally challenging. I know I have as I've been reading this week. But even if you're not a father, you're going to see some things that will help you, again, to change your perspective about God or to understand how God is asking you to live or to trust him in the way that you live your life. So Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, probably the most famous psalm and if it's not the most famous, it's a top three or top five. Many people can quote it. A lot of people have, you know, different uh, artistic expressions of this psalm. 
Uh, this is a Psalm of David. We said in the first week, we, we reiterated that last week, that not all of the Psalms are written by David. He's kind of accredited with all of the Psalms, but it's not him. About half of the Psalms, we don't really know exactly who wrote that Psalm. But this is another Psalm of David. And so interestingly to me, as it starts here with the Lord as my shepherd, David was a shepherd boy. David was one of the sons of Jesse, and as this youngest son of Jesse, his father entrusted to him the great task, and his brothers kind of made it the menial task, but the great task of tending his father's sheep. And so when we read some of these different expressions of what shepherding looks like, David is writing, I think, from some personal experience. So when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's also acknowledging that he knows what a shepherd does. He knows some of the roles that shepherds play. Now, I'm not a shepherd in the physical sense of kind of tending sheep. Uh, We had a dog at my house this past week, and I'm thankful that dog left yesterday. Not because I hate dogs. It's just that we're not really suited for dogs in our house. We've got four young kids. That's enough in our house, enough chaos there. But I'm not, I'm not tending sheep in my backyard. I think that's against the HOA. And so like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So as, it, as I read through these, some of these things, like I don't, I don't necessarily naturally gravitate to the language, but as I read it, it helps me to understand how David understood God. But it also, I believe, again, as a father, as a follower of Jesus Christ, helps me to see who God is. So that first one is the Lord is my shepherd. Now, as I think about that and I think about the role that David played, David is my favorite, I say character, but that almost minimizes who he is, the favorite boy and then man in scripture other than Jesus. I love the story of David, the shepherd boy, because he was overlooked, right? When the prophet came to David's house, he came to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. Saul was the king and God had decided to remove his authority and power from Saul, the anointing, and was going to anoint someone else. The prophet Samuel shows up to Jesse's house to anoint the next king and he looks at the oldest, who is the strong, tall, handsome looking guy, and he's like, surely this is the one. And God prompts the prophet in that moment and says, you know, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And here's the amazing thing. I I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I've always gravitated to the second part of that phrase. God looks at the heart, and aren't we thankful that God looks at the heart? But it's also true that man looks on the outside. It's also true that man and woman, when we look at individuals, what we see with our eyes is kind of how we start, you know, oh, yep, that guy's worth something. She, she can accomplish great things. They seem to have really a lot of gifts and a lot of talent. They've got it all together. Or, I don't know, I don't, I don't really trust that guy. I'm not really sure if they can do anything, if they can accomplish anything. We begin like sizing people up just in a, in a moment, right? I mean, it doesn't take us two or three seconds to figure out what we think about somebody. We, we definitely judge a book by it's covered, but aren't we thankful that God does look at the heart? He looks past all of those things and he understands what other people may not understand, our motives, our intent, the heart with which we, we, we're really driven in the behaviors and the actions of our life. And so I love this story of King David who was the shepherd boy before he was king. And I think there was something about his shepherding experience that allowed God to know that he was a trustworthy option to be king. But as I read through this, the Lord is my shepherd, I also recognize that there's something that is my responsibility as I read through this, if I try to personalize it for myself. For the Lord to be shepherd, I have to be sheep. I have to be a sheep. And so when I read through this passage, I recognize what is my role? What is my posture? My posture is to allow him to lead and guide my life. My posture has to be to give him complete control. He guides and he protects and he saves. And so when I, if, if I position myself as a sheep 
that is following him as the shepherd of my life, then I, I can learn something about who he is. We read that in, uh, in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, this incredible kind of image of a shepherd that says that he would, if he has a hundred sheep and one wanders off, that he would leave the 99 to go and find the one. There is something about completeness and wholeness, but not only that, if this image here wasn't as a shepherd, but it was as a, a pastor, or if it was as a, as a parent, if it was as a businessman, the Lord is my teacher, the Lord, all of these different things that we could describe God, sometimes those roles view people in clumps. They view people in the corporate setting, but a shepherd is looking for each individual sheep. And if one wanders off, the shepherd has to go and find that one to bring him back into the fold to make sure that there's still completeness Of all the sheep being together, it tells me something about the character and nature of God. So if I see him as shepherd, I must see myself as one of his sheep. I have to quit trying to lead my life, and I have to start following him as he leads my life. Every single time that we gather together, we offer people the opportunity to ask God to forgive their sins and to be the Lord of their life. We we offer a salvation opportunity every single time that we gather, and we do that because we just never know who's going to be walking in the door on any given Sunday, and we never want to miss the opportunity for someone to be able to take that first step into relationship with Jesus Christ. But I think so often what has happened is that we are very comfortable, and I use the we very generally here, we are very comfortable asking God to forgive our sins, and we are not as comfortable allowing him to be the Lord of our lives. There is a difference. Now, the forgiveness of sins is a momentary thing, but it's also something that continues. But that lordship is something that takes place every single day. I have to wake up today and determine, am I going to allow him to be the Lord of my life, to lead and guide and direct me? Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is forgiver, that Jesus Christ is savior, that Jesus Christ is redeemer. He is all of those things, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is what the Bible tells me. And so every day I am confronted that I must choose whether or not to give God control of my life today. And if you blew it yesterday, guess what? His mercies are new every morning. You wake up on a day where it's raining like cats and dogs outside, you're like, you know what? I don't want to get out of bed, but I feel like I'm supposed to be in church. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church. You get up tomorrow and you're like, man, I don't feel like I want to go to work, but I feel like that's where God's positioned me. He's allowing me to use my purpose there. And so I'm going to get up. I'm going to go. I'm going to listen for opportunities to talk today to people that might need hope. And I'm not their hope, but he's their hope. So I'm going to, I'm going to allow him to lead and guide my life. I'm going to choose every day to allow him to be my Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. The second thing that we see here is, it says, I shall not want. If the Lord is my shepherd, if the Lord is leading and guiding my life, he is my provision. I have no need of any thing. In the Old Testament, in the narrative of the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, God, they were in captivity. God used Moses to set them free and to bring them out of captivity. He leads them out into the wilderness. And you would think this is a crazy place for God to lead them because there was no provision Even the people themselves began to grumble and complain. They said, hey, can't we go back to Egypt? In Egypt, and this sounds amazing, in Egypt, uh, I mean, even though we were in captivity, we were sitting around fires with pots of meat. I mean, praise God for that. It sounds like they were living at a Brazilian steakhouse or something. I mean, it was amazing the way these Hebrew people were describing it. 
but they forget that they were in captivity. So what they were doing is they were saying, our stomachs were full. We had no freedom. We had no autonomy. Someone else told us when to wake up and when to go to bed. Someone else told us when it was time to eat and when it wasn't time to eat. But man, at least our stomachs were full. We had no need for, we had no want for anything, but it only took three days into the wilderness for them to get weary and to determine that they would rather go back to captivity than to be out in a place where they had to trust someone other than their master because they hadn't yet made God, Jehovah God, the Lord of their life. As he led them and was guiding them and was directing them, they had to choose to trust him every day. So here's what God did. God said, I'm going to provide, but I'm gonna make sure that you don't get comfortable out here. You've gotta choose to trust me every morning. So here's what he did, and many of you know this story. He said, I'm gonna send manna, and I'm gonna send manna in six-day increments. On the seventh day, you have to rest, so you can't go out and collect food. So for five of those days, I'm going to send enough manna for one day. So you have enough, it doesn't matter, it says some of them got a little bit, some of them got a lot, but at the end of the day, they had gotten just what they needed for their family. So they walk outside of their tent, and there is today's provision, they get it, whether they got small or a lot, they had just enough for that day, and then they go to bed, and they're just not sure where tomorrow's food is going to come from unless God shows up. And so they had to go to bed trusting that God was going to show up tomorrow like God showed up today. For five days, every single week, that's how God provided. But then on the sixth day, he provided two days worth of manna so that they wouldn't have to work on the seventh day. So he provides two days worth of manna. They get a little bit, they get a lot, but they have enough to eat on the sixth day and on the seventh day. And then as they start the new week, there's enough manna for that day. It was requiring them to learn to trust him as they walk through a wilderness season. And here's what I know about me. Maybe it's not true about you. Whenever I'm in a season of plenty, I sometimes forget God or I'm quick to acknowledge the blessings of God. But man, when I'm in a season of barrenness, when I'm in a season of wilderness, when I'm in a season where I'm just uncertain, I'm just not sure, I am so quick to blame God and start to look to myself to be my provider. But man, if I can just say every single day, God showed up yesterday and scripture tells me he's the same God yesterday, today and forever. And so if he showed up yesterday, he'll show up today and he will show up tomorrow It changes the way that I live my life in rhythm because it is lived day by day trusting in him to be my Lord and to be my provider. This phrase here would be Jehovah Jireh, God my provider, that he's more than enough for me. In the gospels, what we see is that Jesus multiplied three and a half fish sandwiches and he fed 5,000 people because a young boy brought a lunch and evidently no one else thought church would go that long, right? And so this boy, his mom, I'm sure, just said, hey, just in case you get a little hungry, here's a little food, just put this in the basket. So they get out there, there's thousands of people, no one came prepared except this young boy. And so now Jesus takes that, he blesses it, he, he breaks it, he sends it out and it multiplies and all of the people are, are fed, which is a great miracle. But the greater miracle in my mind is that then the disciples went around and they picked up baskets full of leftovers. How many of you like leftovers, right? That's the miraculous of God right there. It's the casserole on day two. I mean, it's, woo, thank you, Jesus, for that. It's Thanksgiving dinner on Friday. I mean, it's amazing, the miraculous of God, that there were, he is more than enough. He doesn't just meet your need, he exceeds your need. And I love the phrasing here. He says, I shall not want. Not I did not want, but God provided. And so I can be assured that he was enough back there. 
Not I do not want, and I'm still trying to figure out if God is enough. It is a faithful act of trust that said, I shall not in the future need or want anything because he is my provider out there, even though I'm not there yet. That is a life of faith. That is a life of trust that we talked about a little bit last week, that I shall not want. He is my shepherd. He is my Lord. I shall not want anything because I'm trusting him to play this role in my life. When I get there, he's already there. When I need something there, he's already enough. And so I shall not want, which brings me to this challenging question for me personally. Where does our discontentment come from? Where does our want come from? Where does this never fully satisfied come from? I think that's a part of us that still we need to give to the Lord. It's a part of us that we still need to wrestle down in our flesh. That says, I, everywhere I feel discontentment, everywhere I, not wholly discontent, I'm talking about like I just, I see what others have and I desire it more than just a, a natural inquisition, inquisitory way. Like I, I, I desire it in a way that's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta strive for that. Where does that discontentment come? It usually comes from comparison. And comparison is the enemy to contentment. But when I find my contentment in God, when he is my Lord and he is my shepherd, and I recognize that because of that, he is Jehovah Jireh, it changes the rhythm of my life where I no longer look with longing on things that other people have. I find everything that I need in him. I shall not want. So then we come to this place. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I mentioned having a dog at my house this last week. My brother and his family were visiting us. They, uh, they came to visit and stay with us this past week, and then they stayed in our house, and we went away to camp for a few days, and we're just kind of taking some vacation time and a sabbatical from their church for a few weeks, a few, uh, about two months this summer. They brought their dog, so that was, that was one thing. Great dog. It was great, except for the time it threw up on my couch. Other than that, it was great. Great dog. But they also have four kids. So we have four kids, but we're in a little different stage. Their oldest are about the age of, of our, some of our oldest, you know, Branson for sure. And, but they have some much younger kids than we do. And so they have a little boy named Zeke. Zeke is my buddy. Zeke is hilarious. Zeke will tell you he loves you right to your face while he kicks you in the shin. He is so funny. He starts kindergarten this next year. And so Zeke was laying down. We were back home this weekend. And so Zeke was laying down in our middle boys, uh, Branson and Tucker's room. He was laying in one of their bunk beds. And we have uh, an Amazon Alexa uh, in their room. It plays music and does all these things. And so uh, if you know the code, you can, you know, you know what to call it and you know how to do it. You can say, hey, make an announcement. And it will make an announcement throughout the entire house. Well, Zeke was supposed to be in bed. He was supposed to have been asleep hours ago. And all of a sudden, I hear in another place in the house, I hear Zeke's voice, Aunt Corey, I can't go to sleep, right? And so we go in there, and we're trying to help him get to sleep and help him lay down. When you have young kids, sometimes you have to lay them down a lot. <laughs> it's not just like, hey, we're going to go to bed. Like my older kids, sometimes they'll just go to bed, right? But when you have younger kids, like you got to lay them down, then they get up, then they lay down, then they need water, then they lay down, then you lay down with them, then you fall asleep, they're still awake, they get up, they bake a cake or something, and then they come back and you wake up and then you realize, like, oh, they, okay, they've been awake and, um, okay, no, Corey, I mean, I was, I was, just close my eyes for a sec, it's tomorrow? Okay, I didn't realize it was that long, you know, you got to lay them down a lot. But when I look at God as my shepherd, I love this phrase, he makes me lie down. 
I think one of the great traps that the enemy has gotten us into in our culture is that we never rest. We are so connected. We are so, I mean, how many people do you know that when you ask them, how you doing? They say, I'm busy. How you doing right now? Whew, going 90 to nothing. How you doing? Man, I'm, I'm crazy. It's crazier than it's ever been. Work is, cra- work is busy. Work is crazy. It's been a crazy week, crazy day. Busy, 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 busy. Now, there is work to be done. And the Bible tells us if you don't work, you don't eat. You need to work. But we follow the example of God in the creative genius of who he is that he created and then he rested. And then he established law for his people in the Old Testament that they would work and then they would rest. The reason being that God, I believe, wanted us to know that we are not just what we can produce. We are not just who we are when we are at work. We are also affirmed and accepted for who we are when we are doing nothing. You have to rest. And here's what I believe. God created your body, and if you do not create rest on your own, your body will make you rest. And so the Lord, as my shepherd, says, you got to lay down. You got to lay down in green pastures. And when we lay down, then he gets us up and he leads us not beside roaring rivers and we're not getting in rafts and doing all kinds. No, no, no. He leads me beside still waters. And he restores my soul. There have been seasons where my soul needed restoring because I hadn't laid down in green pastures enough and I hadn't been near some still waters enough. And I think for some of us in this season, coming out of the craziness of all of last year and running right into the newness of this year, we're at the midway point almost of this year, and we feel like we are losing our minds. We need to lay down. We need to rest. We need to find some still waters and allow the Lord, our shepherd, our provider, to restore our souls. Jesus shows up, and in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says this. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. If you're weary today, come to him. Admit it. Acknowledge it. Give it to him and take a nap. It could be the greatest act of worship that you do all day long. Take a nap. Eat some good food. I got an amen right there. That was the most amen I got from right down here until I just gave you permission to worship as a nap, right? No, no, no. Eat good food and lay down. Sit in a chair in silence. Turn it off. Turn it off. Disconnect. Unplug. God created us to have a 24-hour period of stillness of quiet, of fellowship, of nothingness. And we have packed our seven days so full that we don't have time to do what he asked us to do. Sabbath, rest, take all your vacation days this year. Find some period of time that you can unplug and disconnect and rest in who he is. Lie down in some green pastures and lead beside still waters so that your soul can be restored. And here's why that's important, because it's not always going to stay that way. Coming right out of that, what did we read? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. If you walk from one valley of a shadow of death into the next valley of the shadow of death into the next valley of the shadow of death, you cannot make it. But if you've rested and you've trusted and you've listened and your soul is restored, then you walk into these places that you never would have led yourself by yourself. But as he leads you into this valley, you can make it. Because you're with him. There's this incredible picture in the book of Genesis as God is walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. There's this walk, this pace, this rhythm of life that we're called to. My favorite episode of Andy Griffith is the Sunday episode where the traveling preacher comes through and it's supposed to be at rest. And then they get so busy trying to figure out how to rest. It's amazing. And that's what we do. We try to, we try to regulate rest and schedule rest and plan rest so much that it's not restful anymore. And then we find ourselves in this valley of the shadow of death. And I want to just kind of walk through what this is. I'm going to work a little bit, kind of middle to end, then back to the front of this phrase. It's a valley. It's a valley of the shadow of death. What is a valley? A valley is a place between two high points, two mountains. So you walk into a valley and and great things happen in valleys. A lot of times valleys, if they are surrounded by these mountains, valleys are the place that they plant. They plant produce to provide for that part of the region, that part of the community, because nothing would grow in those mountains. You need the mountaintop experiences, but so often they live in valleys. So valleys can have some good things. And so we go into valleys and we recognize them for what they are. But I also want us to see that it's a shadow of death. It is not actual death. It's just the shadow of death. You get into a valley and the sun begins to set. It gets dark in there in a hurry. And it gets dark and it gets cold. And I know that two things that start to play on our emotions is when our physical bodies begin to get a little bit uncomfortable, our emotional bodies begin to freak out. You start to feel the shadows creeping over top of you and our minds start to play tricks on us about where we actually are. Even though I walk through the valley of death, that's not what it said. A shadow of death can't kill you. A shadow of a sword can't pierce you. It's just a shadow. But so many of our fears are based on shadows. Think about our children. I've talked about them all all day long, it seems like, here on this Father's Day. Think about our children. What are they scared of? They're they're scared of a shadow of a tree limb across their window. They're scared of the, the door and the shadow that it makes and how the light comes in a little bit and it creates like a weird shape on the wall and they're not really sure what that image is. It's not an image of anything. It's a shadow that's being created by the absence of light. A shadow can't do anything to you except play tricks on your mind. That's why I believe the words of Scripture are so important that it says we should take every thought captive. As we've been trying to teach our kids what that actually looks like, we just kind of put this phrase there, like captivity is putting it in jail, but they don't really understand that, so we just put a cap on it. We just put a cap on it. We just put a a hat on that thought. And when we cover it up, it's gone. We just cap our thoughts. So often our thoughts lead us into these places where it becomes this spiraling effect And the reality is nowhere close to the mind game. It's the shadow that created this series of thoughts that led us to another series of thoughts that led us to a place of torment. Fear has torment, Scripture tells us. But perfect love casts out all fear. It's leaning into the perfect love of who he is, the Lord, our shepherd. It is a shadow. It's the valley of the shadow of death. But here's what I love. He didn't say, I'll lead you into it to stay there forever. He says, even though I walk through. I came into it, but I'm coming out of it. You don't have to stay there. 
You don't have to stay in that place that scares you. You don't have to stay in relationships that trouble you. You don't have to stay in places. You don't have to allow yourself to stay in that that place. What happens is you've got to find the way out. And it's different in a lot of different ways and a lot of different seasons and a lot of different relationships. And I'm not minimizing anything that anyone would ever walk through. I'm saying you've got to determine what is the way out of this valley of the shadows. Often, according to sociologists and psychologists, the greatest way to get out of the valley of shadows is to make something in your life about someone else. It's to find a way to serve someone. It's to get out of your room, get out of your house, get out of your normal routine and find a way to use something that's on the inside of you to bless something on the inside of someone else. Because if not, we just stay trapped in the valley of our own shadows. But what this scripture says is that we walk through. We were never intended to live there, but it doesn't mean we don't have to walk through them. We're spiritual beings living in this human experience, but I'm just passing through this life. And as I do, I'm trusting him, the Lord, my shepherd. So it says, I will fear no evil. Well, why would I fear no evil? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm meant to have a rod and a staff standing right here, a shepherd's staff. I've got one upstairs. I'm meant to bring it down, totally my bad. So just imagine that I'm holding one, okay? Use your imagination. There's a pointy end at the bottom. There's a little crook at the top. The pointy end is used. It's the rod. It is used to push away the enemies of the sheep. The shepherd is walking up. Another animal comes up. Tree branches are hanging over. They can't get through. He uses the rod to push them back. He's protecting. He's providing. He's caring for the sheep. The little crook, the little staff part, is used to pull the sheep back in. It hangs around their neck. If they're, getting, they're wandering off, he takes it and he hooks them and he pulls them back into the fold. So often they would be going up one side of a mountain or coming down the other side of the mountain and as they would begin to slip, he would reach out his staff and he would catch them and he would pull them back into the fold. This is the image of the shepherd in our lives. If we see ourselves as sheep, we recognize that he plays a role. He's not standing in heaven waiting on you to mess up so he can throw the rod at you. As we mess up, he pulls you close with the staff. He keeps the enemies at bay with the rod, but he pulls you close with his staff. It's the role that he plays. And then we land here. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I read a lot this week about shepherd because I'm not a shepherd in the physical sense. I, I, I play that role, I, I believe, spiritually. I care for your soul. I pray for you. So I'm, I'm more often than would make you comfortable, probably. When I close my eyes at night on the back of my eyelids, I see Corey and Cooper and Branson and Tucker and Kinley and you. I think about you. I pray for you. I, I believe that's something God's called us to as pastors. But in a physical sense, I got no sheep, right? And so as I've been thinking about what this image looks like, I've been reading this week about the role of the shepherd. There are times when the shepherd gets out in front and they they use the sheepdogs and the other things to keep the sheep in line, but the shepherd will lead them into a place that they're not sure where to go. And so he gets out in front 
and he uses the rod and the staff to kind of bring them in line and the sheepdogs are coming behind and maybe there were other shepherds that were along and the juniors that are kind of running along behind the little boys that were helping the, the shepherd there. And so they would come, but the shepherd was out in front. He was leading and there are times for that. But there are also times when the shepherd would get in behind and the sheep would run and they would go and the shepherd would just keep them in line, but he would do so from behind. This image here that David would understand from his own role as a shepherd And he puts that on God, the Lord, our shepherd, is that the goodness and the mercy of God is following after us. We've been singing that today. And so here's what I believe for all of us. You're either running toward the goodness and mercy of God or you're being chased by it. There's nowhere that you can escape God's presence. Nowhere that you can escape his goodness, his mercy. You can't get too far away. You can't have done too many wrong things. His goodness and his mercy is right there. Psalm 139, which we're actually going to spend some time in in about five weeks, says this beginning in verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. It doesn't matter where you go. God is already there. Now, that doesn't mean that God is in this podium. It doesn't mean that God is in this microphone. But God is in this room. It doesn't mean that God is in the chair you'll sit in at lunch today. But God is in that restaurant. God is in your kitchen and your living room. God is in your car. He's ever present. The theological word would be omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. It's hard for us to grasp. Isaiah tells us that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways. We are confined to our limited finite understanding as a human being. But God is not limited in that way. And so he's present. He's there. And so today what I would say to you as a sheep, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are, quit trying to run away. You can't get away from him. He's there. He's always there. In the dark of the night, when you're not sure that anyone can hear you, and he was in the earthquake, but he was also in the whisper of the wind. He is there. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, what I would say to you is he is there too. His goodness and his mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You cannot run too far away from him. And the more that you are convinced that you have gone too far, all it takes is for you to stop running. And before you've even turned toward him, he's there. Surely goodness And mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm thankful for the good shepherd. And as a father, as I read through these things, I believe I see these pictures that I'm called to lead my home. To shepherd and guide. I'm called to provide for my family that they would lack for nothing to the very best of my ability. It doesn't mean they get all their wants. But to the best of my ability, they get all their needs. 
that I would create rest for my family. I wouldn't set the pace that's unsustainable. That I would lead my family into green pastures to lie down and to rest. Seasons of intensity and then seasons of rest. Lead them beside the still waters and help God to restore their souls. But I would also help them face their fears. As they walk through valleys of shadows of death, as a father, I believe, and I need to help them to recognize that we don't live in those valleys of shadows. We walk through them. Face your fears and move on. Do uncomfortable things. Don't, Don't shield your children from doing things that make them uncomfortable. Walk beside them. Walk hand in hand as they develop the confidence and the courage that they can do this. They can walk through it and they have no reason to fear evil because you are with them. You've got their back. And God has their back. They should fear no evil, for he is with them. Your rod. Come on. Your rod of discipline and correction and coaching, depending on the season of life, gives them confidence. But that rod keeps things at bay. You're protecting your family, protecting your children. But that staff pulls them close and lets them know that They can't get too far away. They can't do anything to make you love them any less. So you pull them as close as you can with your staff so that you can be present in their life. And you model goodness and mercy. There are seasons of fatherhood, and I'm learning this. I've seen it modeled for me, and I'm trying to live it out to the best of my ability where I've got to get out in front and lead my family. But there are other seasons where they get out in front of me And I am called in that moment to chase after them with goodness and mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. Not because I got it all figured out, because I can only give what I receive. And I receive his goodness and his mercy from above as I make him the Lord and my shepherd. So on this Father's Day Sunday, whether you're a dad or a mom or a grandma or grandpa or a son or a daughter, whether you're sitting by yourself or you're sitting with a few generations of your family, I would say it begins here, where it all started today. Is the Lord your shepherd? Is he your shepherd? Is he just the forgiver of your sins? Or have you invited him to be Lord? Have you given him permission to lead and guide and direct? Have you gotten up today? And if not, it's not too late to start now. It's only 10, 20. Will you get up tomorrow and say, God, I give you this day. Would you lead and guide and direct me, whether you go out in front of me or you lead from behind? God, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy, but be my Lord today. I will be the sheep and follow the shepherd. Is the Lord my shepherd? I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment before we dismiss today. We're gonna close in a time of worship. If today you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I recognize that what I need to do is accept him as the Lord of my life and the forgiver of my sins. I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I want him to forgive my sins and then to lead and guide and direct my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand if you're in the room? We wanna pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you're watching online today, I encourage you, if you're making that decision to let us know, drop that in the chat, send us an email. But today, as you make that decision, we believe that God is changing your eternity. Now, if you would say, for me, Jeremy, you know what? It's not salvation, but I need, I need to acknowledge him as Lord a little more. I need him to be shepherd. I need him to be out in front. I need to give him permission to lead in God. I need to let off the reins a little bit myself. I need to give up control. 
and I want the Lord to be my shepherd. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? So many hands today. Thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty. God, we thank you today for our time together. We thank you for these incredible words of the Psalms. Today on this Father's Day, God, I pray that you would help us to see you as Father and to recognize that while some of us have great earthly relationships with our fathers and some of us as fathers are trying to have great relationships with our children, that God, we can find everything we need in you. God, for those that have brokenness in their relationship with a dad or maybe they have loss, they don't have the opportunity today to call or to text or to send a gift, send a card, eat lunch together. They don't have that. God, I pray that you would fill in the gaps there. God, that they would feel your presence and it would be more than enough today. For those who are separated by distance or heartache, for those who have fathers that are walking through some tough moments themselves, God, would you lift them up today? Would you give them strength? And God, I pray now for those who've acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Would you forgive their sins? They've acknowledged that. We believe that you've done that through Jesus and the cross. But God, now they're also asking you to be their Lord. So every single moment of every single day, they give you increasing permission to lead. So God, start with me and lead us in that way. Be our Lord, be our shepherd. God, we thank you today that we can trust you. You are trustworthy and you are good. God, we thank you that your mercy is enough for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.